the title of my sermon is Serving King Charles is All That Matters? Question mark. Now, before I give this sermon, I'm going to turn my phone to silence. Maybe you'll do the same with yours. What we're about to read is from the Associated Press. <laughs> it's a good way to start a sermon, isn't it? <laughs> London. Francis Dymoke won't ride into King Charles III's coronation on horseback and challenge any pretender to the throne to single combat as his ancestor did in 1066. But he will carry the royal standard into Westminster Abbey. Dymoke, a 67-year-old farmer from eastern England, will be the king's champion at the coronation, fulfilling a role performed by members of his family since William the Conqueror was crowned nearly 1,000 years ago. He was one of more than two dozen ceremonial roles announced Thursday by Buckingham Palace as organizers seek to ground the coronation in tradition while also ensuring that it reflects modern Britain. While the first champion earned his role through long service to the king, Dymoke filled out an online form explaining his family's historic role in the coronation, then waited for the government bureaucrats to review his claim. Thursday's announcement means he will be the 34th member of his family to take part in the coronation. This is the one moment in my life that really matters, he told the Daily Telegraph newspaper earlier this year. Other roles announced Thursday include those who will carry the king's regalia, including the crown, scepters, orb, swords, and spurs to the altar on May 6th. I read this on Friday, and Francis's, Francis Dymoke's short sentence caught my attention. At age 67, his selection to carry the royal standard into Westminster Abbey is called by him the one moment in my life that really matters. I was struck by those words. I could see a teenage kid saying that. But when you hear a man of age 67 say, say it, that's something worth noting because at age 67, he has been a son, a friend, a lover, a father, a husband, and probably a grandfather. He's watched a lot of great moments already. But his chance to represent his king is judged by him to be the one moment that really matters. How, how could he say a thing like that? Well, first of all, he wants to honor his king, which is, wor- which is it's a worthy endeavor. Secondly, he wants to uphold the ideals of the British monarchy. And thirdly, he sees this opportunity to serve the kingdom as being worthwhile and in his words, as being the moment of his life that really matters. The single moment in his life. But, you know, so what? As Americans, we do not have a very high view of monarchy. We had a king once, and we rejected him with prejudice. But, as Christians, we do have a king, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, He is our protector and the head of our church because Jesus is Lord. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 13 to 16. Paul writing to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus to keep the commandment 
unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It would do you and I well each day to bow before our king in adoration and praise of his reign. When I mean it would do us well each day to bow our knees before the Lord Jesus Christ in an act of submission and obeisance and say to him, you are the boss, you are the king, you are the Lord, you are worthy of my life and my moments. Jesus Christ has been reigning since creation in one sense, but he reigns over all things now, and his rule over all creation only gets broader as days go by through the preaching of the gospel. His kingdom is only ever expanding. It will never come to an end. It's a well-said thing that the sun never sets on the kingdom of the sun. Jesus' kingdom is glorious and universal. Now, I want you to understand something, is that every person on the planet is within the kingdom of Christ because Christ's kingdom is the whole world. But not everyone within the confines of his kingdom is a citizen of the kingdom. Just like here in the good old U.S. of A. Not everybody who lives within our borders or our territories is a citizen of the United States. We have people who are residents. They live here. But they're not citizens. You know, this summer, we're going to be inundated with people from wicked places like Florida. (laughs) And Texas. (laughs) Maybe Louisiana. Boy, howdy. They're going to come up and they're they're going to be here, but they're not really going to be here. They're going to live here, but not going to be residents of here. I mean, only a select few people get to be citizens of Michigan, right? Only a few lucky people get to be citizens of Sheboygan County. And even fewer people get to be citizens of the illustrious and noble Inverness Township. (laughs) Not everyone in the world who is inside the kingdom of Christ, not everyone is a citizen of that kingdom. But one day our king who is in the heavens, he will descend to the earthly realm and of his kingdom he will gather his subjects to his side. He's going to come and collect his citizens to his side and then he's going to rain down fire and wrath and judgment upon everyone who is not a part of his people, who is not a citizen of his kingdom. And he's going to set up that glorious earthly realm the millennium. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you is believed, 
To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this text is quite a sobering text because it reminds us that God's justice, the justice of Christ, is kind of on pause now. But the day is going to come when he's going to come and judge the nations because they did not obey the gospel. Sometimes people think the gospel is this great, you know, it doesn't really matter. But the command to, be- to repent and believe is an imperative. It's a command from Christ. Christ commands you to repent and believe. He commands you. When we preach the gospel, we preach it, when I preach the gospel, and when you do too, you are speaking as a herald of the king. You are saying, believe, trust, follow, or suffer the consequences. Have you ever given somebody an ultimatum? You ever done it? You ever told your kids, you do that one more time, and you're toast. You ever done that? Ladies, have you ever given your husbands an ultimatum? If you do that, we know how ultimatums are. Now, sometimes as, a, as an employer, you may give an ultimatum to an employee. You say, look, you've been late for the last time. You're, if you're late one more time, you're out of here. I was working third shift one night at a plant. I was a, I was a new foreman on third shift. And... Uh, the only way I could get to be a foreman was to go to third shift, which is, you know, for those of you who want to know how the, work, how the working world work is sometimes, sometimes to get to the top, you have to take the yucky jobs. So as you are embarking on your working career, I want you to remember, not every job is just a walk in the park. Some of them really stink. And working third shift, in my opinion, stinks. Because every time Valerie was tucking herself into bed, I was kissing her goodbye to go down there and hang out with all these derelicts at the factory. And Valerie's much more fun to be around <laughs> than any of those people were. So, this guy, this guy had an attendance problem. He called in one night. Great guy, hard worker. When he, when he was there, he busted his hump. I mean, he was good. But he called in and he said, Terry, I'm not going to make it in tonight. He'd already been warned. I said, you know what's going to happen? If you don't come in tonight, you're fired. He said, yeah, I know it, but maybe they'll have mercy on me. Well, they had had mercy on him. I'd been a part of the meetings where we, where we had you know, coached him. That's, that's the terminology today. We're, not, we're coaching, encouraging, helping them find solutions to their attendance problems, coaching. Well, he'd been coached one too many times. And when, we, when he came in the next night, because you know, that's what you do. You let him come into work, let him clock in, then fire him. <laughs> If you do it right, you do it after, after they've covered the lunches. <laughs> because we don't want to be shorthanded during lunch. <laughs> when we had to talk to him and say, look, man, you know, it was conform, be here on time, or you're out. And this is what Jesus Christ is saying. The day is going to come when he said, come and judge the nations, He's going to judge the world, and the door of mercy is going to close. The second chances are all going to be burned up, and judgment's going to come. 
But that day has not come yet. The door is still open. God's mercy is still flowing down from the cross. It's still open. But until that day comes, until Jesus returns, there's only one kind of people who can become citizens of that kingdom. There's only one kind of person who can become citizens of the kingdom of Christ, and they are described in Romans chapter 5. Listen to the reading. This is Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's a lot. That's something in your Bible worth underlining, worth marking, which worth, worth, worth putting a little star beside. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be a sinner. And so if there's anybody here in the church house who would say, well, you know, I'm not a sinner, fine. You don't get to go to heaven. You don't get to appropriate the forgiveness of Christ. You don't get the benefit of salvation that Christ has purchased for you because the Bible says he died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. That's who he died for. That's who he died to save. And as long as you see yourself as not a sinner, as long as you see yourself through self-righteous eyes, You're never going to be saved. You're never going to go to heaven. You need to do what the Bible says in the book of James. You need to look at yourself in the perfect law of liberty. Compare yourself not to your neighbor because we're always better than one of our neighbors, aren't we? At least one of them. I I don't know how many neighbors I have. I have one on each side, and I got one across the street, and one kind of catty corner from me. So I got four neighbors, and I see them all the time, you know, doing, doing stuff. And I know I'm better than at least one of them. I know I'm better than at least one of them, because my house ain't junky. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we, how we judge? I'm better than they are, because of this or that. But you know what? It doesn't matter how good I am compared to my neighbor. What matters is how good I am compared to God. If you want to go to heaven, Jesus told the rich young ruler, he came to him and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And what did the guy say? I've been doing that. I've been keeping all the commandments. And Jesus said, okay, go home and sell all that you have and follow me. Which meant he, and he didn't do it because he had great possessions. He didn't love God. He didn't love Christ enough to give up everything to follow him. But Jesus said, if you can keep them, keep them. But you can't keep them. Jesus died only for those who are sinners. Listen to the rest of the reading from verse 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by the wrath by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now then, much more now we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Only sinners can be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his blood. Put your faith and trust for salvation and forgiveness in Christ, and you will be brought into the kingdom of God. 
Now, my friends, no one can enter the kingdom of Christ by effort or by merit. Now, I looked it up. There are some special categories of citizen, people who become citizens of the United States. Now, most people become citizens of the, good old US, of the good old U.S. of A. by birth. Being born within our borders can get you citizenship. Having parents, one parent who is a citizen of the United States can, get, can make you a citizen. Being born in a foreign country, but, being, but your mother and father being citizens, that can make you a citizen of the United States. But there are other avenues besides birth. It's called naturalization, which is something I'm really, not, I'm really not too up to speed on. So if any of you guys know more about it than I do, and I make an error in what, and I make an error in what I'm about to say, just, you know, be merciful to me, okay? Okay? Because <laughs> I know when I get into this kind of stuff, I'm going to make errors. But what, one, of the, one of the ways you could become a citizen, and I didn't realize this, is you could serve in the United States military. You could be a non... Think about that. A non-citizen being in the United States military. Taking an oath to defend the United States and the Constitution. And he's not even a citizen of this country. Isn't that interesting? But you can become a citizen by offering up your life for the good of the country. To which I say, they deserve it. If you're willing to sound the dotted line and offer up your life... All the way, you know, they say that a veteran, a veteran is somebody who has uh, written a check to the United States government that is uh, payable up to and including their own life. If you're, if you're not even a citizen of the United States and you're willing to do that, I say give them citizenship. As soon as they get out basic training, give it to them. What a thing. You can, earn, you can do things to earn citizenship in the United States, but you cannot earn citizenship in the kingdom of Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of, the, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. You can't obtain this citizenship unless you've been born again. Now, John 3, 5 here says, unless you are born of water and of the Spirit. And this can be a little bit confusing to us sometimes because we don't understand what this means exactly. But being born of water and of the Spirit are not two separate things. They're the same thing. They both here refer to the spiritual cleansing of the Holy Spirit that occurs when we are saved. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Paul's describing his own condition before conversion. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he 
poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This washing of the Holy Spirit, washing away all your sins, making you just sparkling, cling, and innocent before God Almighty. This washing of regeneration. If you're here and you can remember before you got saved, would you say amen? And when I say saved, I mean before you really became a Christian. If you can remember what it was like before that, say amen. Do you remember what it felt like right after you became a Christian? It's a different experience for everybody. But I can remember going forward at Calvary Baptist Church in Flora, Illinois, 906 South Locust, the yuckiest, ugliest, rattiest, most mold-filled building the world has ever seen. Leaky, smelly. I mean, when you had a visitor, you gave him a, a clothespin <laughs> and a barf bag. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Not really, but it was just that bad of a place. Just to show you that the building ain't everything, but you know, it is nice to have one that doesn't smell bad. Amen? Oh, amen. I can remember feeling so dirty and knowing that I was condemned before God. And when I went forward to this little wooden altar thing they'd built, which was not very tall, maybe a foot high. I can remember bowing down there, and I, I don't even remember what I said to God, but I know what I believed in my heart, and when I stood up from that place, I felt clean. I felt clean. I felt washed. I felt, I, I felt relieved. I felt like a big burden had been lifted off my back. Have you, ever, have you ever needed to make a phone call or needed to, to see somebody to take care of a matter and you just dread it and dread it and dread it and it's just, just the, the weight of it is so, is so psychologically oppressive it's just is sitting on your shoulders. But then when you make the call and the call could only last a few seconds, 15, 20, 30 seconds, but the minute you make the call, you're relieved. <sighs> when I had bowed before Christ on that day, believing that he was my Savior, that was taken away from me. It was taken away from me. Now, in my life as a Christian, I have sinned against God as a Christian so many times, and I have felt that filthiness more than once, but every time I bow before him and say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. I've done the thing I shouldn't do. I've thought the thoughts I shouldn't have thought. I've said the words I shouldn't have said. I've done the things I shouldn't have done. Every time I come to him, I feel that blessed, sweet cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time you bow before Him, you find forgiveness, you find cleansing there. And this is that precious washing of the Holy Spirit that takes place. Now, that's what being born again is. But how do we know if someone's been born again? How can you know if you've been born again? Because you may, you may have made that prayer at some point in your life. You may have committed your life to Christ, and, but you're wondering, did that really work? 
here are some little indications that you have been born again. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is that what you're hungering and thirsting for, is righteousness, cleanliness, innocence before God? Is that the desire of your heart? Hungering and thirsting. If I preach long enough, you're all going to get hungry. How many of you are hungry right now? A few people. Hungry. Jose put his hand up, but you know, Jose is, he's a teenage boy. And we all know what, they, what their problem is. They never want to stop eating. At our house, I'm amazed at the amount of groceries that one person can consume. When I was a kid, my dad would say, you got a hollow leg? <laughs> wanting to eat, wanting to be hungry. What are, you, are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Now, my friends, the only thing that can make you, the only thing that can make you hunger and thirst for righteousness is the Holy Spirit. To cause you to want Him and to want Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, In one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. This idea of consuming, of receiving, of taking in something beyond you. If you want it, if you want to be saved, if you want to follow Christ, if you want to drink of the living water, these are all signs that you've been born again. The, the apostle Peter gave us this great summation in Mark 10, 28, where Peter said to Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. If you are willing to leave everything to follow Christ, if you want Christ more than anything and anyone, these are the signs of being born again. Now back to our friend Francis. Do you guys remember what Francis's last name was? I said it to you a couple times. His name was Francis Die something. Dimoke. That's probably, you know, uh, a southern pronunciation. It's probably Demoki or something like that. Now remember our friend Francis Dimoke. When they crown Charles III this week, it will be what Francis calls the moment when his life really matters. Now I think that's so interesting because Mr. Dimoke sees serving his king as what really matters in life. That's what he said. Serving my king is what really matters. 67 years of age, which means he's lived through a lot, he's seen a lot, he has wisdom and knowledge, and as he assesses his whole existence up to that point, he says, this is the high water mark of my life. Now, my friends, I want to tell you that serving King Jesus is what really matters. And I wonder if you see your service for Jesus as being as precious and as honorable as Francis does his service to King Charles III. How do you see your service to Christ? Now, Francis, he is seizing the moment to serve his king. Now, England doesn't, they don't change sovereigns that often. I mean, Elizabeth just died and she was queen for 70 years. Seventy years, the Queen of England. Seventy years. Unparalleled. Unparalleled. Even the biblical kings who reigned a long time, Uzziah and Manassas only got 55 years. Solomon the Great and David the Great only 40 years. Man, she is 70 years, but she died. 
Francis is seizing this moment to serve his king because his king is inferior to Jesus. In order to serve Charles, Francis only has a small window in which to do it, and he must seize the moment to to serve his king. Because a person can only serve Charles for a little while, because no earthly ruler is eternal. Even Elizabeth, who reigned for 70 years, she was dethroned not by a foreign power, not by her own people like Charles II, but she was dethroned by death. Dethroned by death. But our King, our Sovereign, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He is king forever, and he has already died and defeated death and risen from the dead, and he sits on the throne, reigning and ruling for all time. His reign will never come to an end because he has defeated all his enemies. He's defeated all his foes. And my friend, the chances to serve our eternal king, those chances will never end. And best of all, unlike the king of England... Our King Jesus takes note of every act of service that we ever do for Him, no matter how small, He takes note of them and He will reward us for all of our acts of service for Him as our Sovereign. Because Christ, our King, rewards faithful service. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 10. Our God is, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. Have you ever felt unappreciated? You ever feel unappreciated? My blessed wife, I mean, she she does so much. Sometimes when I'm sitting there, you know, on the couch, reading with my feet up, drinking coffee, as I watch her go through the house, doing her work, every once in a while I feel like, wow, she's overworked. But that fleeting only lasts a little bit. (laughs) Because, after all, I am the king. (laughs) I think ladies probably feel, they feel underappreciated while all that they do. I'll just talk about my wife for for a minute, because I think think she's a pretty fair representation of a lot of women. Um, But she's the best. Is, is she works she works a full-time job. She's a mom, she's a wife, which each have their own a whole bunch of stuff that re- those things require. Uh, she, she does the laundry, she plans the menus, she orders the groceries. I pick them up and I put them away. But most of them, <laughs> girl, I can change. <laughs> I put the groceries away, uh, but she, she, she plans the menus. You know, she knows what's supposed to be in the cabinets, and, and she, she talks to the, the kids and says, what do you need, anything you need from the store? She gets all that stuff coordinated, and then the laundry and bathroom cleaning and bed making. I mean, I, never, I haven't made a bed. I've been married 25 years. I've probably made a bed 10 times. 10 times. I can, I can take these clothes off that I'm wearing right now, put them in the dirty clothes, and they'll be back on the hanger tomorrow night. The girl, she is, a, she is a tornado of activity. And she works, she works a full-time job. She's going to college, completing courses. I don't know how many college credits she's completed this, this, this spring already, but if I told you the number, you would be in awe. Just, she just never stops. Her day starts at 0, 500, 
Really, it starts at 0450. Reads your Bible, prays. Just, just, just incredible. You know how, often, how many times I go up to her and say, you know what, you're killing it, girl. You're doing a great job. You know how many times I do that? Not, not enough. Not enough. You ever feel underappreciated? No. How many, how many of you feel underappreciated at your job sometimes? Anybody? No. <laughs> Very few people raise their hands. Your boss ain't here. <laughs> you can feel underappreciated. But your sovereign, your king, Jesus, he knows every single thing that you do for him. He knows every single thing. He knows every good thought you have towards people. He knows every time that you see a rescue squad or EMS truck slide through town and you breathe a little prayer, Lord, help those people. He knows. He takes note of everything you're doing, the massive and the minor. And he puts them all down in his glorious book. And you will be rewarded for those in the last day. He is not unrighteous to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. He takes it down. Listen to Paul writing 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Paul says, this is how one should regard us. Paul says, you should see us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And Paul says, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's talking to a church or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, I take this to mean that every believer who serves the Lord in any capacity at all in the last day, is going to get commendation from him. What that means is well done, good and faithful servant. Sometimes we're not even aware of our service for God. Because we don't think of, we don't think of, we, we kind of put things in categories. But Jesus said in Matthew 25, he said that if you visit those who are in prison, that's service for me. If you feed the hungry, that's service for me. If you give a cup of water to someone, that's service for me. All these magnificent things. He's taking them down. And your sovereign is going to reward you for it. But I feel compelled to ask this question. Are you actively serving Christ? There is a sense in which you must intentionally serve him. He's Lord. Jesus said in the gospel, Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? In the church age, in the Christian era, we do have work to do for him. Are you actively serving Christ? Now, I'm going to give you three areas in which you can serve Christ. Number one is you can serve him in the church. When I say in the church, I mean the local, visible church. Let's say it like this in the Faith Baptist Church, in the church. Service. Now, there's always something that needs to be done in the church. So here's a, here's a long list of things that we need. 
to serve in the church. You guys ready for it? Got your pins ready? We need nursery workers, greeters, ushers, children's church workers, Sunday school teachers, absentee follow-up people, visitor follow-up, small group pioneers. A small group pioneer, I, I invented that term last night. And it means somebody who wants to start a small group. Isn't that a great idea? Small group pioneer. Want to be a pioneer? Who wants to be a pioneer? Who wants to get a horse and a gun and a branding iron and say, small, my small group, my small group, and round them up? Let's <laughs> brand all the small groups, you know? <laughs> the Rockin' A. <laughs> the Lazy B. Wouldn't that be great? If I ever have a rant, it's my brand, the lazy bee, the bee on its back, you know. Small group pioneers, <laughs> singers, musicians, grass cutters, chair set up people, soul winners, VBS workers of all kinds, live nativity volunteers, people to canvas the areas, invite people to come to church and to different events we have, to people to give rides to, to people, to bring to church. It just keeps going, going. There are... Lots of ways to serve the Lord in the church and through the church. Lots of ways. What are you doing in the church? Now, this is not to those of you who are already doing a lot of stuff, because some people are doing all kinds of things. It's for those of you who haven't yet got involved. Find a place. There's, there's, a, there's, all, there's a whole range of things. Range of things. Serving in the church. And then there's service outside the church. <coughs> Serving God at your job. Being a person who is honoring Christ in your work. That means by doing a, a fair day's work, being honest in your dealings. Christian workers. If you're Christian employees, this is a well said statement. Christian employees should be the best employees in town. Because Jesus, because the apostle says, we shouldn't labor for men, but labor for Christ. Labor for Christ. Outside the church, helping your neighbor, volunteering at various things, being a good law-abiding citizen, just outside the church, living a gospel-validating life outside the church, in the community. Then they're serving the king in your home, being a man of God or a woman of God, being a father who is governed by Jesus, a mother who is devoted to Christ, being a son or a daughter who honors Christ by obeying their parents and and trying to keep the, the peace of the home going. Is your home a Christian place? Are you serving Christ? Do you, do you see serving Christ in the same way that old Francis sees serving King Charles? As the thing that makes his life really matter? Really matter. Now friends, our King Jesus, he's a wonderful king. He's the master of mercy. He's the God of grace which means that he'll never tell you that you've failed him too many times to be of use to him. He never kicks anybody out of his army. He never kicks you out of the family. He never kicks you out of the kingdom. He keeps you. Every day, the mercies of Christ are new. Did you fail him yesterday? Have you failed him today? Well, I want you to look up into his loving eyes, and here's what you're going to find. Not a look of condemnation. Because the Bible says, to them that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. When you look up into those gracious, loving eyes, he says, try again. Go ahead. 
Have you ever, you ever been playing on a sports team and make a mistake and the coach yanks you out? Oh, that makes you mad, doesn't it? Jesus is like the best coach. You make a mistake, he doesn't pull you out. He says, hey, stay in there. Chase that ball. Elbow that guy. <laughs> keep on. He wants you to keep on going. He wants you to keep on serving him. He knows you have failed him. He knows you have, you've missed the mark, but he never gives up on you. Look up into his eyes, and you'll see a gaze of love and mercy. He says, come on, you can do it. There was a British man who wrote this little bit of a poem in the 1800s. In fact, I'm not sure if he wrote this in the 1800s or in the 19th century or the 20th century. It's a very long poem, but I've only taken a portion of it. You guys will probably know it. His name was C.T. Studd. And here's what he said. This is the last stanza, the last verse of his poem. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. A life lived to serve Christ. What will really make your life matter is if you know Jesus as your Savior and you serve him as your king. The Apostle Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, here's what he said to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Here's what Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. That's what Paul says. As I look back across my life, I see my life, I've tried to serve him with it, and I'm ready to go because I know he's going to reward me in the last day for my service for him. Here here are four questions for you. Only you know the answer to these questions. Only you know. Are you saved? When I say them, I say, are you saved? I mean, are you a Christian? Have you come to know Christ as your personal Savior? I use the word personal intentionally. Does not mean that you know him as the Savior of the world, but as your own personal Savior. Have you had a moment like I had when I was 15 years of age, when I committed myself to Christ, when I said, Lord, I want you to save me. Please forgive my sins. Has there been a time in your life when you've done that? When you got down your knees somewhere or leaned against the wall somewhere and said, Lord, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive my sins. Has there been a time when you've done that? If you haven't, I want you to know you can do it now. You could pray right where you are. You could call upon him and say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you will find that he is merciful and that he will save you. He will wash away your sins and he will change your life. But it has to be personal. It has to be sincere from your heart. Have you done that? Maybe you've become a Christian. But your life has just kind of been Christian-ish. And you know you need to dedicate your whole self to him. Your whole self. Dedicate your life to him. Sometimes you may hear a term like this, making him Lord of your life. Or as one guy here in this church has told me before, putting Jesus on the throne of your heart. 
dedicating yourself to him, saying, you are my king. And, I'm gonna, and I want to live that way. I want to live under your oversight. I want to be under your authority. I want you to be the guiding light of my life. Is that what you need to do? Have you done that? Now, for me, I, I did it. When I was 18 years old, when I, asked, when I surrendered to be a preacher, and I did it one year later when I was in Bible college. And to be honest with you, I have done it lots of times. In fact, after the first time, it's called rededication. <laughs> I've rededicated my life to him so many times because I failed him so many times. But I just keep on rededicating. I keep on reenlisting, re-signing up, and taking new steps day after day. Rededication. Now, is that what you need to do? Is that what you need to do in this day? Is you need to rededicate your life to him? You dedicated yourself in the past, but you dropped the ball. And maybe, and, and really what this is, is Satan comes and says, God's done with you. God's done with you. He doesn't care about you anymore. He didn't love you anymore. You're a loser. You're a waste. Well, that's Satan. That ain't God. That is not God. He says, come to me. Step back in to the batter's box. And the last thing I'd like to say is, what's stopping you from doing that? What's stopping you from calling on Christ? What's stopping you? You have big questions and doubts about all kinds of things. Well, I understand that. If you need to talk about those questions, come and talk to me. I'm, I'm, you know, believe it or not, I'm nice. I know I don't look nice or sound nice, but I'm a nice guy. And if you don't want to talk to me, there are other people in this church who you can go talk to who are not quite as nice, but they're nice too. Bounce those hard questions off somebody. What's stopping you? say, well, somebody's going to laugh at me. Somebody's going to make fun of me. You know, that's not a good reason. Somebody's going to laugh at you sometime. I wore this coat today. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> different than usual, isn't it? And I figured that if I wore a different coat today, somebody on this side, on the second pew on the end, would say something <laughs> to me about it. And I almost didn't do it because of him. <laughs> because he is not nice <laughs> sure enough <laughs> but you know that's just, that's just silly isn't it it's just it's the same thing people are going to make fun of you for anything any decision you make you may say well I don't want to dedicate myself to God because I know I'm going to give up something you know, probably the thing that you, you know you need to give up is probably good for you to give it up. Because it's probably a sin. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? What's stopping you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I've, I took this little bit of the news and tried to make a sermon out of it. And Lord, I pray that you would 
I pray that you would bless these words to the hearts of these people. Lord, I, I see people here who, who really need to, to rededicate themselves to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would move on their hearts to do it. And Lord, I don't, I don't know if there are any people here who are not Christians. But Lord, if they are here and they're not believers, I pray that you would turn their hearts to you. That you would give them that thirst for you. Thirst for righteousness. I pray that you would help us. Help us go forward from here as your servants. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.